Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. The thirteenth Sunday after Trinity, Luke ten, twenty three to thirty seven. The grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, do right, shun no man. Today, many quite frankly say that this is their whole religion. Many say this especially when the doctrine of Holy Scripture that man is saved through faith is presented. Do right, shun no man, they cry out. This is my creed. That is my guiding principle. I go according to that. I live according to that. Who will demand more of me? Now, though this sounds wonderful, this very declaration shows the miserableness of the religion of all those who have made it their motto. At least our old German forefathers said, Fear God! Do right, shun no man. In our day, they omit fear God, indicating that they have a godless religion. What else is a religion without God but a house without a foundation, a sea without water, a person without a heart and soul? Is there no God whom man must fear, love, and trust above all things, whom he is obliged to venerate, worship, and serve? Does a person have an obligation to man only? Does he not also have one toward God? Are not these his very first and most important, his dearest and holiest duties? There can be no greater blindness than to want to be considered a righteous man, yes, a good, honorable Christian, when in reality he still lives as though there were no God, to whom he is subject, and God were not the Creator and Lord of all men, whom man is obliged to serve. Sad to say, things have finally come to such a pass among the preachers of virtue, reason, and nature that they suppose that a person can really be virtuous even if he does not concern himself about God, does not wish to hear God's word, and discontinues prayer completely just as long as he fulfills his duty toward his neighbor. There is, however, something most unusual right here. One would naturally suppose that those who have chosen the words, do right, shun no man, as their motto, would be blameless and perfect, at least in their behavior toward their fellow men. Observe them more closely, however. You will discover that most always speak of doing right, virtue, good works, love, one's neighbor, yet they actually think of everything else but doing right, practicing virtue, good works, and love toward one's neighbor. Compare the old days, when the fear of God and faith still stood in first place, with the new times, when mere, one merely says, do right and shun no man. 
It will not be difficult for you to decide when love and good works were practiced more, now or then. True, today they build more magnificent poor houses, orphanages, and hospitals than formerly. Yet, what else are they but proud monuments, which boasting charity now erects for their own praise? True, nowadays, they are so philanthropic that they convert the prisons into the most practical, comfortable homes. They would rather not sentence the murderer to death. Now, what else is this seemingly greater humanness than contempt of sin and crime? True, that there are now many secret and public societies who have mutual support as their main purpose. Yet, why have such societies become necessary? Simply because no one wants to love another, unless he is bound by an oath that some do the same to him. Nowadays, everyone has sunken so far into egotism, self-love, selfishness, usury, and greed, that no one hopes for help in time of trouble. Undoubtedly, those who wish to have nothing to do with the fear of God will never be truly zealous in love toward their neighbor. Yes, those who always merely speak of love of man as the only sign of a good person and a true Christian are, as we have said, usually the very ones who practice it the least. It can be no other way. Only in a heart in which the fear and love of God becomes alive will the flames of a true unselfish love of man begin to burn. Even in such a heart, if love remains imperfect until death. Therefore, Supposing that God demands that man fulfills only the law of loving one's neighbor, even then no person would be righteous before God, for no one fulfills it, and no one can fulfill it. This important truth is presented in today's gospel. Permit me to speak to you of this in greater detail. Luke ten, twenty-three to 37 Then, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend I will repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You, go, and do likewise. So far our text. My friends, 
This gospel has been very often misunderstood. Because the Lord says to the lawyer, do this and you will live, many have thought that it logically follows that a person, through his good works, can merit eternal life itself. But this is a gross misunderstanding. If you consider the whole gospel somewhat more closely, you will see that it taught the very opposite. When Christ publicly called his disciples blessed because they heard and saw him, this was most offensive to the lawyer. He thought, have we not received the divine law through Moses? What more do we need in order to be saved? In order to get Christ to reject Moses' law, he asked him a question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Christ pointed the one asking the question to the law of love toward God and neighbor and said, do this and you will live. Christ could say this, for if a person perfectly fulfilled the law, he would receive eternal life. But Christ does not say that the lawyer can keep it and receive eternal life. In order to bring him to the knowledge that he cannot be saved by keeping the law, Christ does not say, this you can do and thus receive eternal life, but only do this and you will live. He means to say, earnestly try to keep the law, and you will soon notice that you cannot. You must then look around for another way to heaven. We see clearly that this is the correct explanation when the lawyer is censured, because he wanted to justify himself, and for that reason asked, and who is my neighbor? Yes, Christ presented the parable of the Good Samaritan for no other purpose, but to show that the lawyer had not in the least fulfilled the law of loving his neighbor, as he supposed he had. Let us now, on the basis of our text, consider the law of loving one's neighbor shows that no person can justify himself. The reason is because this law demands three things which no one can perfectly fulfill. It demands that one should love not only his friends, but also his enemies. Out of love for his neighbor, one must be ready to bring the greatest sacrifice. And finally, one dare not become tired of showing love toward his neighbor. Let us pray. O Lord God, you have created the whole human race to be one great family bound together by the heavenly bond of inner love. Yet we must confess that we are so cold. Let us always recognize this. Do not for that reason withdraw your love from us. Pour it into our hearts that we may live and die in love and thus come to the eternal enjoyment of your love. Do, thus, do this in us all for Jesus' sake, who loved us and gave himself into death for us. Amen. My friends, if in our day a person asks the question, Do you hope to be saved? The usual answer is, Yes, of course, I hope to. Who does not hope for that? But if he then asks, On what do you base that hope? What do the majority answer? Most say, I give everyone his due. No one can justly accuse me. I have never offended a child. I have never cheated anyone out of a cent. I have earned what is mine honorably and honestly. I live peaceably with my neighbor. I have even helped many of my friends out of trouble. No poor person leaves my door without receiving a gift. So why should I doubt that I will be saved? So you see, most believe that they will be saved because they, as they suppose, have fulfilled their duty toward their neighbor. But it is false to suppose that it is enough to have fulfilled their duty toward their neighbor, even if they do not fear, love, and trust in God above all things. But apart from this, to suppose that he has fulfilled the command to love his neighbor is nothing but self-deception. Nobody perfectly fulfills even this command, and nobody can. More belongs to it, infinitely more, 
than most suppose. The lawyer who in our gospel tested the Lord also supposed he had fulfilled the command of loving his neighbor. But what does the Lord answer him? He tells a parable and says, Once a Jew left Jerusalem to go to Jericho. On the way he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and then went away leaving him half dead. A priest and a Levite came along, but without taking pity on the wretch, passed by. However, a Samaritan, whom the Jews hated, came along. When the Samaritan saw him, who had fallen among the murderers, he had compassion on him. Although he saw his enemy lying there seriously injured, he did not rejoice at his misfortune. Sympathizing with him, he took great interest in him. Now, why did Christ tell this story? For no other reason than to show the lawyer and all men that only he who loves not only his friends, but also his enemies, fulfills his duty toward his neighbor. Since this is true, I ask you, does not the very command of loving our neighbor show that no one can justify himself before God? Undoubtedly, for no person can perfectly fulfill the command to love his enemy as much as his friend. Many people, even the heathen, have shamed their enemy through generous kindness. But where is the man who can say, I love my enemy as I love my friend? All Christians have done that. They always conquer their hatred toward their enemies and lovingly embrace them. But where is the person who can say that he never, never, never hated his enemy, insulter and persecutor? If anyone must confess that he was angry with his enemy only once, he thus confesses that he has not perfectly fulfilled the command to love his neighbor. He condemns himself as a transgressor of the law. He himself declares that he cannot justify himself before God. The command to love our neighbor demands that we rejoice over the good fortune of our enemies, as over our own, and mourn at his misfortune as though it happened to us. Yes, the law of loving our neighbor demands that we are just as concerned and pray just as earnestly for the temporal and eternal welfare of our enemies as for our own. We must concern ourselves more with having our offenders receive forgiveness from God for their sins against us, than that they apologize to us. Christ says in another place, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Luke 6. And in Matthew 5, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Only one had such an inner, living, heartfelt, perfect love of one's enemies, and he proved it. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He always repaid evil with good, misdeed with kindness, cursing with blessing. In short, hatred with love. He shed bitter tears at the misfortune of his persecutors, prayed for his murderers, and gave his life on the cross for the salvation of all of his enemies. Who has perfectly imitated the Savior? No one, not a single person. Therefore, even the command to love our neighbor shows that no person can justify himself before God. There is a second reason why we cannot save ourselves by loving our neighbor. It is because the command to love our neighbor demands that, out of love to him, we must be ready to make the greatest sacrifices. All who suppose that they are able to justify themselves before God by fulfilling the command to love one's neighbor are in the grips of a delusion. 
They believe that if they deal uprightly with every person, if no one can call them to account, if all the world must recognize that their acts were upright, they have then sufficiently fulfilled the law of love. If they give everyone his due, if they duly return what they borrow, if they pay off in the same coin, kindness for kindness, love for love, if they help their neighbor when it does not cause them too much trouble, place them in no no danger, nor cause them any special loss, if they give of their abundance to the poor and needy and the like, they suppose that this is the love which one can demand of them. They, however, err greatly. That is not love. That is uprightness. True love is not only upright and fair, it must do incomparably more. Christ shows this in the Good Samaritan. He did not think, if the priest and Levite pass by that wretched man who is their brother in the faith, it is not necessary for me to exert myself on his behalf. He did not think, oh, these woods are unsafe. I must think of my own safety and hurry on in order that I may come to a safe inn. He did not think, I am tired and need my animal myself. I will go to the inn and there summon people who will bring this half-dead person in. No, he thought this way. What if the priest and Levite pass by their brother in the faith in his ministry? They will have to answer to God. I feel myself obliged to help. He thought, though I am in danger of falling into the hands of robbers, I must not hesitate. Help is needed immediately. Here is a chance to practice my duty of love. If God will not protect me, his will be done. Why should I not give my life for my neighbor? Finally, he thought, if I first hurry to the inn and call for help, this poor person could die in the meanwhile. I would become his murderer through my carelessness and indifference. That is why the good Samaritan poured oil and wine in the cuts of the wounded man, bandaged them, put him on his animal, and, going through the woods, took him to the inn close by. Here you learn how one can fulfill the law of love. One must be ready and willing out of love to one's neighbor to make the greatest sacrifices. True love does not ask what another person usually does. It thinks, even if no one does it, I am compelled to. True love does not ask whether a person can demand this or that of his love. It is not satisfied to have it acted uprightly, as though it would receive justice before a worldly court. It always thinks, what would you want another to do for you if you were in the same situation as your neighbor? True love loves one neighbor as it loves itself. It does not think, someone else has a greater obligation than I have. Why should I be so concerned about it? No, it thinks, if another who should do it, does not want to do it, I will do what I can. True love would rather suffer injury than let his neighbor suffer injury. It is ready to help even if it becomes a burden, even if it has no abundance, even if that which it needs itself must share with the needy. Yes, it is ready to stake goods, health, honor, even life itself for his neighbor, if that becomes necessary. Moses writes in Exodus 23, 5, If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. And in the New Testament we read in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Galatians 6, 2, Bear one another's burdens, so fulfilling the law of Christ. 1 John three sixteen. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Now, where is the person who leads such a life in love? There is none. 
Only Christ has perfectly lived, suffered, and died in love, not for himself, but for sinners. True Christians, in whom Jesus lives, make a beginning of such love, but never become perfect. Blindness, gross blindness it is, when a person supposes he is able to justify himself before God by fulfilling the command to love his neighbor. No person is ready and willing, any and every hour, to make the greatest sacrifice for his neighbor, for love demands even the greatest sacrifice of him. Yet another reason must be added why we cannot save ourselves by loving our neighbor. It is that the command to love our neighbors demands that we never become tired of loving him. Christ presents this in the example of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan took that wounded, deathly sick Israelite to the end, and what did he do? Did he suppose that he had done his duty and that now the innkeeper could take over? No. Although wearied by the journey, he himself, with loving intention, nursed the sick man through the night. When on the next morning he had to leave, he paid the innkeeper for the care, which he now ordered for him. Yes, even then the Samaritan had not done enough. He promised to return and then would repay the innkeeper for any additional expense that would incur. Now what does Christ mean to say to the lawyer and to all of us? Simply this, that only he who never becomes tired in his love has that perfect love toward his neighbor, which avails before God. Tell me, can you find that person who never becomes tired of showing his love, whose love to his neighbor is ready to burn brightly in an instant, who never has days when he feels cold and slow in showing love, who never tires easily of being generous when he is almost daily importuned by one or more of the poor, who does not become tired of being kind, when he sees how often his kindness is misused? Who never becomes tired of showing works of mercy when he experiences that his goodness is repaid with despicable unthankfulness? Who never becomes tired of forgiving and being reconciled when a person always insults and injures him anew? This also, only one was able to do, Jesus Christ. Of him we not only read, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, John 13. But Christ was also just as unflagging in his love toward his enemies. Even the infamous traitor could not make Jesus' love become tired of his devilishly hypocrisy and malice. Even the kiss of Judas he took with friendly mien and called the rascal his friend. Full of love, he came into the sinful world to seek and to save what was lost, the world to which he did only good, did not rest until it had nailed him to the cross. Yet loving and blessing and praying and dying for the whole sinful world, amid the curses and mockeries of his enemies, he left the world. Oh, let no one rely on his love toward his neighbor for his salvation. Let no one thereby hope to be able to justify himself before God. Let everyone rather recognize how much he lacks in that love which God demands of us. Let each one learn to know that his heart is empty and cold in respect to love. May he beat on his breast and feel sorry for it. Only one love saves us, and that is the love of God in Christ Jesus. Whoever despairs of his own love and comforts himself in God's love begins to love a little. Someday he will come where he will remain in love, where all live in perfect 
eternal love. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen. You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. We thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God's Word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life.